Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to be covering chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 tonight. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you and then we'll begin our study. The Hebrew writer says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Alright, that's as far as we're going to get tonight. So let's just take our time to break it down. But in order to do so, I've got to talk to you about two things. I've got to talk to you about two things that we need to understand to really be able to start breaking this down. As we've already dealt with, you know that the Hebrew writer is writing to a group of Jewish Christians who are considering going back to Judaism because of persecution that they were facing uh, before being Christians. But I want to go into a little bit more detail about that tonight to give you a better idea of what they were really dealing with and how severe uh, this temptation was for them. Um, at this time, remember, Rome is in, still in power. The same Rome that had Jesus put to death. Uh, that, that Rome is still in power. And the Romans had this thing where everybody that was under their authority had to once a year declare Caesar to be Lord and God. And they had to come and pay homage to Him and worship Him. The Jews, though, had been given the only dispensation, if you will, of not having to do it. The Jews didn't have to say Caesar is Lord. And the, the Romans had set up this deal with them that they were free, free to not do it. The Christians, though, who are now coming out of Judaism into faith in Jesus Christ, they're not going to say Caesar is Lord because only Jesus is God. There's only one God and it's Jesus. And they weren't going to do it. And because of that, if you did not declare Caesar to be Lord or pay your, 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 your gift, if you will, and do that, you were either put in jail or put to death. And it was at the whim of the emperor or the ruler at the time what your punishment was going to be. So... Every year now, the Christians had to deal with this issue. What are we going to do when it comes that time? Are we going to say, Caesar is Lord? Or are we going to stand up and say, no, only Jesus is Lord? Now on top of that, remember how much the Jews hated Jesus. They hate the Christians now too, the followers of the way, as they called it, and, and all. And so now the Jews realize we've got a great opportunity here to really stick it to those Christians. Because they knew who used to be Jewish who now is claiming to follow Christ. And guess what they're doing? They're naming names. They're ratting on them. In order to get them. Go for it. Uh, the, the way was a sect, a Jewish sect. Mm -hmm. So in order to get rid of them, they took their names off the rolls. So that's how they got all the names. That's right. And they, they knew who it was. And so they were able to give those names to, to the Romans. And so not only are they having to deal with whether or not they're going to say Caesar is Lord, they're also having to deal with the fact that the Jewish people are actually handing their names to the Romans and saying, hey, you want to know some people that aren't doing it? We'll give you the list. And so the persecution was intense. It was severe. And there were those who were thinking, you know what? Maybe we just go back to Judaism. The Hebrew writer is dealing with this issue. That's why he's writing. The second thing I want you to understand is this. Well, before we can go any further uh, with that, let, let's just stay there for a minute. How would you respond? I mean, 
if Jesus tarries, there's no promise that we won't face some kind of persecution like this. You know, I believe Bible teaches without question the church will be gone before the tribulation period and all that goes on with the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and don't have to worry about who the Antichrist is going to be. We're not going to be here. We don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to take the mark. We won't be here. I believe the Bible is very clear on that. But it doesn't mean we won't face persecution for our faith like our brothers and sisters around the world are right now. Are you ready for it? Are you willing to stand up and experience the uh, confiscation of your property? To lose your rights, be put in prison? See, if you really understand what was going on, jump with me to chapter 11 of Hebrews. I'm going to read just a couple of sections in the end of that chapter, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. We'll get to it in time. But I want to read to you tonight just two sections, and all of a sudden you're going to see how you're going to start reading Hebrews chapter 11 a whole lot differently. Keeping in mind what these Jewish Christians were having to face. Start in verse uh, 32. Look at what look at the Hebrew writer says. He says, And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, and ministered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of, fl- of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And look at what he goes on to say here now. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. How many of you realize that that Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith as we call it, was actually a loving spanking? It was a chastisement. It was a... You all are thinking about going back to Judaism? Don't you realize that people of faith for years have been mistreated because of their faith? By the way, most likely this one that's talked about, or at least one we know of, Son and two, was probably Isaiah. Tradition has it that Isaiah was put inside a log and then sent to the sawmill. Go on to chapter 12 of Hebrews. Look at verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people that have gone on before us who have stood the ground for their faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And now listen to what the Hebrew writer says next. In your struggle against sin, you haven't even yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, get back in there. Get back in there. I, I heard a story years ago about this one pastor who went to an older pastor friend of his because this pastor was being mistreated by his church and uh, he was thinking about quitting the ministry. And the senior pastor said, they've been treating you bad, huh? And he goes, they, the young pastor goes, oh yeah, they've been treating me real bad. They go, have they spit on you? He goes, well, no, they haven't spit on me. Have they pulled your beard? No, they haven't pulled my beard. Have they whipped you? No, they haven't whipped me. Have they nailed you to a cross? Well, no. The pastor says, well, you're not done. Go back. 
Nowhere in the Scripture does it say that if we follow Jesus, you'll have an easy life. There's a guy out there who's got a book that says your best life now. Don't buy it. There's no promise of that. He promises joy. He promises peace. He promises that He'll be with us in the midst of the trial. But He said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And if Jesus doesn't decide to come and rapture us as soon as many of us are praying for Him to do it, you need to be ready. And that's a part of why I believe God wanted us to do this study of the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking at the difference between law and grace. We're going to see that a lot tonight. We're going to see the foolishness of leaving grace to go back to, to legalism. But at the same time, if Jesus tarries, it will get worse, not better in this world. The Bible is very, very clear about that. And you need to be willing and ready to stand your ground and have your faith rooted in the fact that there is no one else. Where else would we go, as Peter said? You have the words, Jesus, of eternal life. We believe and know you're the Holy One of God. We're not going anywhere else. We don't understand half the time what's going on or why you're doing things the way you do. Even John the Baptist got to the point where he was questioning whether or not Jesus was really the Messiah. There are I mean, if John the Baptist can get his faith rocked, don't you think you could? But Jesus said in, in, he, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, Blessed is he who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed are those who don't fall away on account of how I run my business. So let's not be too, too hard on these Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism. They were going through it real tough. But at the same time, the Hebrew writer in this book is writing to them and saying, first of all, it's foolish for you to go back to something that's less. Secondly, men and women of faith ahead of you have been through worse. You haven't even resisted to the point of shedding your blood yet. Keep going. Keep going. The second thing I want to point out is this. As we deal tonight with this first of the warnings, there's actually a few warnings here in the book of Hebrews. Some that so severe warning says you're going to see a couple tonight that actually cause you to question whether or not you can lose your salvation. He, the book of Hebrews has been used many times for people to say, look at what it says, can I lose my salvation? And we're going to hopefully get that so nailed shut for you tonight, we don't have to deal with it anymore. But at the same time, the reason the Hebrew writer uses these strong warnings is because the Hebrew writer does not know the spiritual condition of every individual that he's writing to. Folks, I believe and hope that I am speaking to a room full of people who have the Spirit of God, who are born again, sealed by the Spirit of God. But to be really honest, I don't know. And so when the Hebrew writer sends these strong warnings, he's writing to a group of people that he doesn't truly know their spiritual condition. And he has to give strong warnings because there may be those who are not truly of the faith who would walk away. And he's going to say some harsh things to those people. You'll see tonight the difference between them and us who have the Spirit. But you need to understand that as we deal with these tough warnings... It's because there, are, there is a difference between those of us who are truly saved by God and will be held by God and those who are among us but aren't really of us who may go away. And the Hebrew writer doesn't know who's who and he has to give serious warnings to those who could walk away. But then he always, you'll notice, says to those of us who can't because of Jesus holding on to us, he then gives a little bit of encouragement. But I believe better of you. But you have an anointing. All the way through. So you're going to see that dichotomy in our study tonight. So let's start looking at verses 1 through 4. Do not take lightly the very first thing that he says here. He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we don't drift away. Folks, 
Please take that seriously. We must pay more careful attention to the Gospel. We must pay more careful attention to what it is that we've received in Jesus Christ. Thank God for the doctrine of once saved, always saved. It's one of the most provable doctrines in Scripture, but unfortunately it has caused many of us in Christendom to say, thank God I'm saved. And we take that wonderful gift of salvation and we put it up on a shelf. And now we focus on other things when it comes to our what we call our relationship with God. Because we know we're going to heaven. We ain't worrying about that. We're now focusing on other stuff. And the Bible actually teaches that those of us who have our focus, our relationship with Jesus Christ, if you will, daily going back to the cross and be reminded of what it is that He's done and who we are in Him and understanding the fullness of the Gospel, these are the ones who experience the joy and the peace and all that. Go with me real quick. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Go to to, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read it to you. I'm just going to quote it to you real fast because I want you to understand the setting of where we're going. Starting in verse 3, Peter says this. He says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Boy, that's awesome. It's not you hanging on to God. God's hanging on to you. Who by faith are shielded by God's power until the coming, uh, 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 the salvation is coming and ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though for a while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and result in praise and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. But look at the next verse. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Him You love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And folks, I've been a pastor long enough to tell you, most Christians today are not filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. And you know how I know? I was pastor and I was one too. Peter doesn't say you should be filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy. He says you are. And as I read that one day, it kind of hit me. Lord, I'm not. We've become real good at putting on the face and pretending to be something we're not. And we know how to go to church and say, Hi, brother. Hi, sister. How are you? Fine. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. But inside, we're miserable. Inside, we're struggling. Inside, we're disappointed with God. Inside, we're hurting. Inside, we're frustrated. But we would never put on that because that's not how you act amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. But I had to be honest and say, God, I don't have that. I know I'm saved. That's not the issue. What's the deal? And God opened my eyes that the answer is right here in verse 9. Look at what it says. For you're receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. And God opened my eyes and He said, Jim, you know what you did? You took the gift that I gave you, which is an ever-increasing gift, and you put it on the shelf. You, You know why most husbands and wives have friction in their marriage? I'll give you one of the reasons why. There's a bunch. 
But one of the reasons is this. Husbands see marriage as the finish line. Wives see marriage as the starting line. Let's be honest. Guys, you, you know. You, you, you're a young man. You thought, man, as soon as I get a girl to say yes, I can stop bathing so much. You know, I don't, I don't have to shave. As soon as I get someone to put... I can get, once I get a ring on her finger, I'm done, baby. That, I can't wait. But the girls are sitting there thinking, man, I can't wait till I get a ring on his finger. We can begin our life together. What happens is, you see husbands seeing marriage as the finish line, and women wives seeing marriage as the starting line. Well, guess what? Your Savior sees salvation as the starting line. Many of us have seen salvation as the finish line. How many of you have grown up in a denomination or in a a generation, if you will, of Christians who have said, Oh, I'm just going to heaven. That's good enough for me. You ever heard that one? Oh, I'm just thankful that I'm going to heaven. That's enough for me. And the Bible says there's so much more to our relationship with Jesus. If that was all it was, you'd die as soon as you got saved. Take the gift of salvation off the shelf and put it back in front of you each day. And pay more careful attention, as the Hebrew writer says, to this gift that we've been given. Jesus in John chapter 17 ends His prayer there in the high priestly prayer by saying, Father, I have made You known to them and I will continue to make You known in order that the love You have for them, I'm sorry, have for me may be in them and I may be in them. Do you hear what Jesus just said? At the close of His prayer there in the garden, He says, I've made You known and I will continue to make You known. In other words, what we see as the conclusion of Jesus' prayer is the beginning of our journey. Jesus says, I have not only revealed you to them, I'm going to continue to reveal you to them. That's why Paul says to the Christians in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened, that you would understand. Actually, he says that you'd be enrooted and established in love, would understand the height, the width, the depth, the breadth of the love of God. Folks, if you're not experiencing that glorious and inexpressible joy, don't try to fake it. Don't try to manufacture it. Don't say, all I can do is read my Bible more, or I've got to pray more. No, you've got to take that gift of salvation off the shelf and put it back in front of you and make the goal of your faith your relationship with Jesus Christ. Too many of us are focused on what we do for Him instead of being with Him. I was listening to this one thing on, on the web someone sent to me today, and uh, I listened to it, and this guy brought up a wonderful point. He said, in the story of the prodigal son, the older son says to the father, all these years I've served you, and you didn't given me a goat. But the father says this, my son, you always are with me. Listen to the difference. The son was focused on what he did for the Lord. The father was focused on you're with me. That's what I'm focusing on, you being with me. And folks, the church has said, if you're a good Christian, here's what you'll do. If you're going to be a producing Christian, here's what you're going to do. And we have taught the church to focus on what we can do for God. And God has all along looked at us and said, look, I've been focusing on you being with me and me being with you. You remember back in the garden, God was with them and they walked with Him. At the end of the Bible in the New Jerusalem, the dwelling of God is with men. God's far more interested in you being with Him and Him being with you than He is for you serving Him. Make that relationship that you have been given through Jesus Christ the goal of what you focus on. What is it that He's given me? Who am I? What does it mean to be with Him? 
And I guarantee you that you will be filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy because you're receiving the goal of your faith. Don't make it anything else but Jesus and how much He loves you. Everything else falls into place. Didn't know all that was in verse 1, did you? Yes. Uh, I was going to say, uh, for me, it's helpful sometimes to go back and re-evaluate uh, my salvation. Because I understand it better now than I did when it happened. I didn't understand hardly any of it when it happened other than it did. And you appreciate what it is, and it's not just an intellectual thing that's in the Bible called salvation. If you think about how God specifically drew you as a person, the people He put in front of you, the messages you heard, and the circumstances that He took for you specifically to be saved, it's kind of like going back and hitting the reset button. You can start over again and you appreciate it a lot. I think that's a wonderful way to look at it. We've talked earlier about how many times God spared your life before you were saved. Add that in to your thinking. And then think about the fact that He not only kept you alive, He then, as Chris just shared, put people in your path, drew you by His Spirit. I got saved in a gymnasium in Milton, New Hampshire. Most people don't even know where New Hampshire is. You couldn't find that on a map. But let alone Milton, New Hampshire. Graduating class of 26 people. And in 1973... He found me in that gym and said, I want you to know me. You know about me. You don't know me. I want you to know me. And I, I, I remember I got up and was pushed down the aisle. I don't know who pushed me. I, do, I know now. At the time, I was wondering who was pushing me. But when you go back, wow. Man, if he would do all that to save me, don't you think he's going to finish what he started? Don't listen to all the preachers that say, oh, you owe it to God too. No. I was talking with this one man and he says, oh, after all that God did, how can I thank Him enough? And I said, be careful, you're already trying to put works into your thanking. You're now starting to measure, am I thanking Him enough? Am I doing it right? I want to say thank you. Am I doing it enough? Don't put works into it. Just thank Him. Love Him. Don't worry about whether or not it's enough. We don't realize that we put works into almost everything we've done so long in the church. Folks, the Hebrew writer said, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard. And here's part of the reason why. So that we don't drift away. Now there's, as we're going to see tonight, different levels and types of drifting away. There are those who drift away, who never had salvation, who walk away, who are lost. They were close, but they never were saved, and they never were His, and they're damned. There are those of us who are His, and we drift away at times. Why? Like Chris just said, we never really focused a lot enough, if you will, or paid close enough attention to what it is that God's done for you and how much He loves you. And there's lots of reasons why we tend to drift away. Well, let's deal with that question before we go any further. Well, let's, let's read, read it, verse 2, and then we'll deal with this question. If the message spoken by the angels was binding, for if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment... How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. We'll come to verse 4 in just a second. Let's stop right here. Here's where the Hebrew writer gives his first warning. 
He said, we can be careful we don't drift away. He said, because if the message spoken by angels was binding, and by the way, for the sake of time, for those of you that um, want to do this study, let me give you some scriptures. When he talks about the message spoken by angels, he's talking about the giving of the law and the Ten Commandments. Write these scriptures down. All right, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 33. Verses 1 through 4. Or say that again. Deuteronomy 33, verses 1 through 4. In that situation, you see God, uh, Moses as he's repeating uh, what happened and what it was at the end of his time there on the earth. He talks about how when he was on Mount Sinai, the Lord came with all his holy ones. Angels were involved in the giving of the law. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 talks about that as well. That's Galatians 3, verse 19. And also Acts chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. And 51 through 53. Let me say that again. Acts 7, 37 and 38. And also 51 through 53. If you want to go and do a little bit more study on that. It's talking about the law. The law being given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Was accompanied by angels. And angels somehow. We don't fully understand it. Somehow the angels were involved in the administering of the law. And the Hebrew writer says. If the message spoken by angels was binding. The law of God and the Ten Commandments. And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? In other words, if those who rejected the law of Moses faced serious judgment because of that, how much more serious do you think it is to have been offered salvation announced by Jesus, proclaimed by His apostles, as we're about to see, confirmed by the signs and the wonders and the miracles, How much more serious do you think it is to say no to that? It's pretty serious. God's not going to take it lightly. Let me show you two other places where that's talked about. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll break these passages that I'm about to read you in chapter 10 and chapter 12 down a little bit more when we get to those chapters. But let me just read them to you for right now. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 to 39. The Hebrew writer says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's the law or the message brought by angels. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who says it's mine to avenge, I'll repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He says, remember those earlier days after you'd received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So don't throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what He has promised. For in just a very little while, He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Do you see it? There's that dual warning there for those who are close but not really saved and would walk away. You better watch out. Because if the law of Moses brought severe judgment if you rejected it, how much more severe will be the judgment for those who reject the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son? Go to chapter 12 of uh, Hebrews. Look at verse 25. 
See to it that you do not refuse Him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused Him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from Him who warns us from heaven? So again, throughout the book of Hebrews are these very scary, very severe warnings. They are written to deal with the fact that the Hebrew writer does not know the spiritual condition of his audience. As far as he knows, they're Christians, but he also understands the truth that there may be those among us who aren't truly saved. And those who can walk away need to be warned. Look, if you do that, the judgment's going to be worse for you than it would be for those who rejected the law of Moses. Look, if you do that, you're going to be in serious doo-doo. You're going to be in trouble. Why? Because it's a very serious thing to reject the offer of the, of the Son of God. Now, let's deal with this question. Can you fall from grace? Now, listen to my answer. Some of you are saying no, and that's, that's half right. Listen closely. The answer is this. Yes and no. Now I'm going to clarify it. No, it, and I'm going to show you, it is impossible for you to fall from grace if you are in grace. I'm going to make that clear. Alright? It is possible for people who are near grace, surrounded by grace, offered grace, to fall from grace. Let me clarify what I'm talking about. Go with me to 1 John chapter 2. I think now is a really good time to just deal with this subject real quick and it will help us in the rest of our study. 1 John chapter 2, look at verses 18 through 20. John says this, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Here John is writing to the Christians there, and he says, Look, you know what? There have been some who are among us who have left. Their going showed that they really weren't among us and weren't one of us. If they had been one of us, they would have stayed. But they're going to show that they really weren't. It's the whole Judas principle. The disciples had no idea that Judas wasn't one of them. Jesus said he never was. Child of Satan from the beginning. Think about the fact that when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, none of them had a clue. Who is it? Think about when Jesus sent them out two by two to go cast out demons and to heal people and to preach the message of the kingdom. Somebody got paired up with Judas. And nobody came back and said, Jesus, can I talk to you for a second? The guy you paired me with, he wasn't able to do it. He must have been able to cast out demons too. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, wait a minute, Lord, didn't we cast out demons and in your name preach? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. The issue is not whether or not you profess it. The issue is whether or not you possess it. The issue is whether or not you've truly been sealed by His Spirit. That's the big thing. That's why He says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see whether or not you're even in the faith. Is Jesus in you? That's the issue. Is Jesus in you? Is it possible for those of us who are in grace though, who've been sealed by the Spirit of God, to fall from grace? No. It's possible for you to stumble. It's possible for you to drift away in a sense. 
It's possible for you to not enjoy the value of your relationship with Christ, but only for a time. Because the Bible is very clear that your salvation, if you've been given salvation and He's given you His Spirit and Jesus is in you, who's holding your salvation? Is it you or God? God. And it's kept in heaven for you. It has nothing to do with you. And secondly, remember John 6. Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father. And this is the will of my Father, that I lose none that He's given me. Did Jesus do the will of His Father? Was there any time that He ever didn't do the will of His Father? Of course not. That means He loses none that have been given to Him by the Father. So don't worry about whether or not you can lose your salvation. If you've been given His Spirit, relax. Take a deep breath. Oh, but there's going to be some scary warnings in this book of Hebrews. You know why? Because the Hebrew writer didn't know the spiritual condition of everyone he was writing to. And there could be those Judases in the group. Is it possible for them to walk away from the faith? Yes. But if they do, it's because they never had it. Is it our job to figure out who they are? No. Remember the story of the parable of the wheat and the tares? Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Yes. Well, how come there's weeds out there among them? My enemy's done this. Well, do you want us to go separate them? He said, no. You'll do damage to the, to the wheat while you're in that process. Don't, don't do that. It's not our job to try to figure out who's saved and who's not. Just make sure you've got His Spirit. And if you do, relax. He's never leaving. He's never leaving. I'm going to show you a neat, neat scripture. Actually, two. Go to the book of Romans real quick. Actually, this week. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I don't know. See, you bring a very. I'm glad you brought this up. Jeannie's thing was she thinking that Judas might have thought he was saved. I don't believe so. I don't believe that you can think you're saved and then find out later you're not. I think the God is doesn't stutter. I think if you don't, if you're not His, He's going to make that clear to you. You understand what I'm saying? And let me get where I'm coming from. Uh, the difference, every one of us in this room has doubted whether or not we're saved. If you haven't, you've not lived. Alright? That's why the helmet of salvation is so important in the armor of God. We've all been through that time of, oh, I wonder if I hope I'm saved. Alright, we've been there. There's a big difference though between doubting your sa- whether or not you're saved and knowing you're lost. There's a difference. That's why when Jesus said to Judas... You know what you're going to do. Go do it. He got up and he left. I believe Judas did know he wasn't one of them. I think he did. But see, you have to realize, that was pre-indwelling of the Spirit. Uh, and so we're trying to mix apples and oranges. It's going to be hard to do that. So we have a different advantage that they didn't have. Also, Right. And I think that's where your confidence... But they didn't have the indwelling spirit like we do. So, again, you can't go there. Go ahead. Uh, would it be fair to ask for a comment on 1 Timothy 3.6? 1 Timothy 3.6. Let me take a look at what it is right offhand. I don't know which one that is. 1 Timothy 3.6. Let's take a look at it. Oh, yeah. Okay. In, in 1 Timothy 3.6, it's talking about the qualifications, if you will, for those who are going to be in spiritual leadership in the church. He said he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. All right. Now, understanding the whole... Whenever you interpret Scripture, you need to use the whole of Scripture to interpret Scripture. The whole of Scripture is pretty clear. 
a Christian can't lose their salvation. That's dead, dealt with. So that must not be what this is saying. If you match it with the whole of Scripture, it can't be what it's saying, or else Scripture would contradict itself. So in this instance, as I've actually looked at this passage and dealt with this, um, what, what, what happened to Satan? He became proud, and he wanted the glory. He wanted the attention. And let's, I'm going to be straight up with you, having been a, in pastoral ministry for over 20 years, uh, you can get very conceited. It's a very heady position. There's lots of people telling you how wonderful you are. You know, it's just, that's the way it is. And it's very easy for a new believer to get, kind of believe in their own press and their own headlines. And I think just simply when it means the judgment of the devil, it doesn't mean the final judgment. I think it just simply means the same judgment made about the devil could be made about you or I. And to be honest with you, there's been lots of times that God has made a judgment with for you or I. It says in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, it's time for judgment to begin with the household of faith. So judgment doesn't have to mean condemnation. Judgment could just be made, meaning I made a judgment about you and God's judgments are correct. So that's where I'm going with that. And I, I, think, I think I'm right. And if you disagree with me, God will make that clear to you as possible. <laughs> All right. Go to Romans chapter 11. Go to Romans chapter 11. But that's a really good question. I'm glad you brought that out. Romans chapter 11. Look at verse 11. Paul's dealing with the nation of Israel and how they've been set aside for a time as God's now grafting the Gentiles into the vine. And, and, but look at what he says in verse 11. He says, again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And the answer here is already there. It says it. No, not at all. Okay? Rather, because of their, their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. So, alright, how, do, how does Paul know that Israel didn't fall beyond recovery. How does Paul know that Israel's going to come back? Scripture says. Keep going. How, how do we know? God's promises. God made a covenant with the nation of Israel. And He said, you will always be a people. It says in the book of Jeremiah that if the sun... See, you know, all this stuff, it won't stop happening. The nation of Israel is always going to be. So in other words, because of God's covenant promise with Israel, Paul knew that even though they'd stumbled, they hadn't totally fallen, they will come back. You as a child of God are held in your salvation by God in the same way. He's made a new covenant with you. And by the way, God's pretty serious about His covenants. And he's going to keep his covenant. And there may be times that you don't look like a Christian. There may be times you walk away. There may be times like the prodigal son, you say, I don't want to be a Christian today. But guess what? You're going to be a Christian. Put a bookmark here in Romans 11. Let me show you one more verse, then we'll come back to Romans 11. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You'll see it described in the most wonderfully clear way I've ever seen. 2 Peter, and by the way, that was 1 Peter 4.17. I said 1.17 earlier, it was 4.17. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Isn't that an interesting statement? How do you fall from a secure position? Here's how you fall from a secure position. You ever seen those uh, 
skyscrapers and the window cleaners. You know, they get those scaffolds that they use and they go up and down on the ropes, you know. If a guy were to fall off that, how come you know he's not going to hit the ground? Those of you that know OSHA. He's got a strap, right? He's got something attached to him that's also attached to the scaffolding. He may fall. And actually, I've seen a few times pictures on the news of people that have fallen off of those things and they're dangling upside down for a while on that cable. They didn't hit the ground. Bungee jumping. <laughs> bungee, bungee jumping without the bungee. You know, they fell, but it was from a secure position. Peter, who said, you're the Christ, had been given salvation because of his faith. It wasn't many days later, he said, I don't even know who he is. How come he's not in hell? Because he was in a secure position. He might have fallen. He might have stumbled. But it wasn't beyond recovery because he was being hung on to by God. It is possible for you to fall from a secure position, but you won't hit the ground, if you will. Go ahead. So your your statement or question is what if someone what if someone said Caesar is Lord? No, my question is this, okay? It's like if somebody is then being told, you either say Allah is Lord or else Oh cut your head off, right? Mm-hmm. Well, oh, to your kid's head, okay, go ahead. Well, here's the thing. The, the issue is, your, your, your question is simply this. If in the persecution, if it comes to us and we have to decide, do I say Jesus is Lord or Allah, have to claim Jesus to Allah or else my child will get his head cut off, listen closely. If you're saved, it doesn't matter which way you answer. But, wouldn't you rather see him and know that you were able to stand your ground for him? There's a, you know what I'm saying? It's not going to determine whether or not you get into heaven. Well, the righteous fetus is yes. Right. Trust me, I understand. That's why Paul and Barnabas had the fight that they had. John Mark was with them, and he got scared, and he ran off. And Barnabas says, when they said, let's go on our next missionary journey, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. Paul says, uh-uh. That guy, was a, he's a weasel. He, he chickened out. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Barbara says, come on, let's give him a chance. You know, We see they both looked at it. I don't know, and neither do you know how you're really going to act in those situations. We can sit here and say, oh, I will stand for God. Well, I hope so. We don't know. I thought a lot about in the Old Testament, the, the Christians that were eaten by the lions, they had to have an awful lot of faith. Oh, yeah. And it had to be a supernatural faith because... You're right. Hey, Peter, one of the guys who's written books of the Bible, you know, one that preached at Pentecost, was afraid to tell a young girl that he believed in Jesus. And God still loved Peter. So don't worry about whether or not you get the right or the wrong answer. But why don't you between now, excuse me, between now and then develop a love relationship with Jesus so you know he's going to take care of whatever happens. Go to Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Yes, go ahead. I put down my nearly inspired version. <laughs> Tony's not listening to these tapes. You get no points for that. So go ahead. Give me one more. All right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, in Second Peter three 
17, it says, not security in this one. It says, beware lest you also fall away from your own steadfastness. Yep. Which is well, and, and a picture of what happens to us because we have it flow. We do have it. We do have it flow. But again, if you're his, you're secure. But you're right. But yes. Uh, but it's not him giving up the security. No. It's us and our steadfastness kind of. We, we waver. That's right. That's why we have to pay more careful attention to this salvation we've been given. Here's, I want you to see in verse 22. Look at what, what Paul says here. He says, Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. It's like, man, every time I start feeling better, you show me another verse that makes me nervous again. <laughs> Listen to what he's saying. There are those who focus on the love of God so much that they make it sound like everybody's going to heaven. And there are those who think that that's the way it is. That's not teaching the whole truth. Paul says, consider the kindness and the sternness of God. There are those who focus on God's wrath towards sin. And their preaching is, God hates every sinner and he's, they're going to hell. And that's not a picture of who God is. We need to understand both. But look closely at what he says. Sternness toward those who fail. Sternness to those who reject. Jesus, though, was a picture of God. He is God. The sinners didn't feel condemned in His presence. Why? He didn't come to judge. He came to save. If they're still alive, God still loves and cares. And actually, even if they're in hell, He loves and cares. It's just they've chosen to reject His offer of salvation. But God loves everyone. But if you choose to say no to the only way He can reconcile you... You're going to see His sternness. Jesus Himself said in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, I'll tell you who you should be afraid of. Don't be afraid of man who only can do damage to your body. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear Him who has the power after the body has been destroyed to put your body and soul in hell. That's who you should be afraid of. What about the love of God? Yes, He loves. And please understand that He loves you right now. If you're rejecting Him as Savior, He loves you. And He's wanting you to be saved. And He's given you every opportunity. Every breath you have is another opportunity for you to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. But there will come a day if you say no. That's why the Hebrew writer says, don't drift away. How can you escape if you ignore such a great salvation? But why does He then say, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you'll be cut off. How come? Why did he say that? Why couldn't he just leave it but kindness to you? Why did he add that last sentence? Because he doesn't know the true spiritual condition of everyone in his audience. I say the same thing to you. If you're his, relax. If you're not, don't relax. But your continuing, by the way, isn't because you're hanging on. If you continue, it's because He's holding on to you. So why don't you just trust Him and keep going forward? Trust Him and keep going forward. Now, in the time that we have left, let's deal with verse 4. I have so much more I wanted to share with you, but we're, we're out of time. Um, if you want to look at where Jesus announced this, because it says back in Hebrews chapter uh, 2 how this salvation was announced by the Lord, go look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It's very important, because at that point it says, uh, John, that when John the Baptist was put in prison, that was the end of the time of the prophets, if you will. John the Baptist has now been put in prison, and we know what happens to him next. He's put to death. Jesus then begins to preach, and he says, the time has come. 
Believe the good news. That's the gospel. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Believe the good news. The gospel. Jesus himself started proclaiming the gospel. And it was also announced by those who heard him. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Now, the Hebrew writer then says in verse 4, But not only was it announced by the Lord, this wonderful salvation, and confirmed to us by those who heard Him, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, we don't have but five minutes left. And so let me just at least say this, and if, if I feel like God wants me to deal any more with it when we get back next time, I will. We'll just see. The Bible talks about signs and wonders and miracles, and I believe the Bible says that they still exist. There are those who try to teach the cessation of the gifts. And they try to use 1 Corinthians 13 where Paul says, you know, prophecies will be stilled and tongues will cease and all these types of stuff. Listen to what I'm saying. In the context of 1 Corinthians 13, it's very clear that it's talking about that will stop when we get to heaven. You won't need any more preaching in heaven. And I'm not going to be a painter. I don't care what you say, dude. <laughs> Just because of you, I called a friend of mine in New Orleans today. And he said, oh, it's the painter. He's been listening to the studies online. And your comment in the last Bible study is now stuck. But, but listen closely to what I'm about to say. I believe the Bible teaches without question these gifts still exist. And God still heals. He performs signs and wonders and miracles. But... The signs and the wonders and the miracles were used of God and are used of God to gain a hearing to confirm the message of the gospel. Those who then make the signs and the wonders and the healings their ministry go beyond the realms of Scripture. We see nowhere where someone went into a healing ministry. Peter would heal but only when it was to get a hearing for the message. Paul himself said, I left Trophimus sick at Miletus. Why did he do that? Why didn't he, he had the gift of healing. He just he touched people. No. The healings and the miracles were used to gain a hearing when God was wanting to use the miracle to confirm the message that was being preached or was about to be preached. They're tied together in that way. And if you look at the scriptures, you'll see it very clearly. That's how it works. That's why in parts of the world where the gospel is not as prevalent, we're hearing and seeing these types of miracles happening, even raisings of the dead. We live in America. And we have not only got the gospel, we have been inundated with the gospel to the point that most people don't even listen to it anymore. You're not going to see that many things around here. I'm not saying it won't happen. God still does. But He chooses when. Listen closely to what it says. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Listen closely to the next. Distributed according to His will. Who chooses, according to this passage, when the signs and the wonders and the miracles and all that will happen? God. Not you or me or anybody with that so-called gift. I believe there are gifts of healing. I believe there are those who have... I believe the Bible. And when the Bible says that these are spiritual gifts used for the building up of the body, that means they are. But they're not for you to determine when you do it. They're distributed according to His will. That's why I know people, I, I have very close friends, Becky and I both do. They're in our church in Chicago, and God uses them to do miraculous healings. I'm not kidding. 
So much so that if you think I'm even friends with them, you're going to call me a charismatic just for being friends with them. But they also understand that God doesn't heal everybody. They also know that God doesn't heal everybody. And actually, these same people, they're missionaries now in Africa, and they've told many times about the healings, and we've actually seen... I got an email from them today about how they're on their way to this one thing to do a radio program. They ran across an accident, and they brought these people to the hospital. Well, if God used you to heal people in the past, why didn't you heal them? Because they knew that that wasn't God's intention in that instance, and they drove them to the hospital. All right. There's a lot more we could go into that. I think for the sake of time, we'll stop. If you have any questions, we can. But for the most part, I think this is a good place for us to stop. Folks, what we're going to be doing as we continue in the study of Hebrews is t- paying more careful attention to this wonderful salvation we've been given. And hopefully it will keep you from drifting away, even if you're saved. And staying excited about this Jesus. And hopefully it will be used of God to be a warning if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know Him yet. Because if you don't know Him, consider the sternness and the kindness of God. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank You for this chance to open Your Word. Thank You for the people and their desire to come. Thank You for a group of folks that are hungry for Your Word. Lord, thank You for a group of people that don't just believe it because Jim says it. Thank You for folks that are writing these Scriptures down, wrestling with some of these things, asking questions and trying to process. Father, I thank You for the fact that I don't have to have all the answers. That your word is alive and able to communicate and get us where we need to be. But Lord, at the same time, you've called and gifted me to be the communicator at times of this truth. And I thank you, understanding that anything that happens of any, any eternal value, you've done it. And I give you the praise for it. But Lord, I also know that for myself, I have focused more on what I did for you than just being with you over the years. And now you're teaching me to focus more on just being with you. Thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the fact that in my times that I felt the same way the older son did and have kind of frustratedly said to you, but Lord, I've served you my whole life. How come I don't have joy? You and love have been saying to me patiently, my son, you're always with me. And now you're helping me to understand that you're focusing more on me being with you than serving you. I pray that for everyone in this room. Father, we don't know what's going to happen in the days to come. We don't know if you're going to come get us soon. We don't know if we're going to go through persecution. We don't know. We do know that you've proven that you love us by dying for us before we were even born, caring for us when we were your enemy, seeking us out, putting people in our path, drawing us by your Spirit. You've done such an awesome thing to even get us into this relationship. And then, over the years, we've wrestled with it. We've uh, walked away. We've uh, sinned intentionally. We've, we, we've, we've really not been the greatest of kids at times. But you love us. And you hang on to us. And you're patient. And you're loving. And when you discipline us, it's for our best. Father, the longer we walk with you, the more we get to understand how awesome you are. And one day we're going to see you face to face. One day we're even going to be able to understand more of who you are, how great you are. and We can't wait. Oh, we can't wait. But until then, we ask you to do, Jesus, what you prayed. You said you would continue to make the Father known to us that the love he, he had for you would be in us. We want that. And we believe you will. Thank you. 
for the fact that you're going to help us see more of who we are and who you are, who the Father is, and how that all ties together and how wonderful it is to be your children. In Jesus' name we do pray these things. Amen.